Well, hello, everybody. Good to see you. I'm Nate, if I haven't met you, and I'm, I'm just thrilled that you came to church today. Uh, in specific, if this is new for you, uh, thank you for having the courage to step inside of this room. We hope this is a safe place for you to explore who Jesus is. And so we're just we're thrilled that you're here. Over the past um, several weeks, we have been looking at the Spirit of God. There's so many points of confusion, misunderstanding. And this um, symbol, known as the triquetra, is one that the early church developed, we know, sometime before 79 AD. So even before the New Testament was completely written, the early followers of Jesus, they felt like it was essential to remind everybody and to remind themselves that God was three in one, three in one. The term Trinity comes from that, that he is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we've been looking at specifically what it means for him to be the Holy Spirit. Uh, The first week, we looked at Acts chapter 2 and this idea that God came to recreate the world when he brought his spirit. And so it created a new potential and dynamic for human life that we would no longer have to be spiritually dead, that there is a new way we could live. Then we looked at the idea that the Holy Spirit is a gift. That's what Jesus said. He's a gift to human beings. And then he gives us gifts that supernatural things can be worked through us. I can love more than I could ever imagine. I can um, say things that I thought I'd never have the words to say because it's the dynamic supernatural work of the spirit working through us. Then we looked at the fact that he is our teacher. Okay, so this is a broad perspective on the Holy Spirit. He's our tutor, that he teaches us what we need to know. And then last week, We looked at this idea, we looked at one Greek word, parakletos, which means the one who comes up alongside, and that's translated helper, comforter, counselor, friend, and that the Spirit of God walks alongside human beings, which means wherever you're at, wherever you work or go to school, that we're not alone, that God's presence is with us. Now, I would like us to look in this final week at a passage of scripture from the book of Galatians, chapter 5. So this is a book that the Apostle Paul writes. Probably one of the most intelligent men and that's ever lived and probably has been as influential as anyone that's ever lived. He wrote several books that have changed and altered culture for 2,000 years. There are not many people that can say that. And he's writing to a group of people who are following Jesus in a city called Galatia. Galatia, so they're known as Galatians. So he writes this book to them and he is going to talk about the tension that they are experiencing as followers of Jesus. Okay, here's the dynamic that's happening. In Galatia, There are people who said, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. I believe that uh, my life could be resurrected. But here's what's happening in Galatia. They still struggled with old ways of acting, thinking, and behaving. They sometimes succumbed to physical temptations and passions. They at times lost their temper. They were reactionary. And they were, here's the word, inconsistent. And they couldn't figure out, why are we so inconsistent? If, if the message of Jesus is so dynamic, if God has recreated the world, if we are now made alive, 
why do I do the things that I don't want to be doing anymore? Can anybody in the room relate to that? You just get a little frustrated at yourself. Like, why do I still have these inconsistencies in my life? So maybe you're spiritually unresolved. You don't know exactly what you believe, but you've seen that. You act out, you respond, and you're like, why did I do that? That hurt that person, or or that was so selfish. And if you're a follower of Jesus, it gets even, it drives you nuts. When you you think, why did I do that? Why did I react that way? That's that's not who I want to be. And so it's this problem that human beings who want to follow Jesus have had for 2,000 years, and we still have it today. And so what Paul is going to do is he's going to say, you know how you address that tension? He's going to give us a word. The word is walk. He says, walk in the spirit. He says, this spirit who walks alongside, if you want to address the inconsistencies in your life, learn how to walk in the spirit. And he is going to juxtapose two things against each other. Okay? It's going to be the old way of doing things, which he calls the flesh or your carnal nature, okay, your instincts, and this new dynamic, this new birth that God has given you. So before we read the text, though, I, I, I want to just bring out two concepts that are at the core of the Bible's message, but I got to tell you, they're not popular ways of thinking today, especially the first one. It's really frowned upon, okay? And uh, we, won't, we won't grasp what Paul's talking, Paul's talking about unless we, we look at these two ideas. So the first idea is this, it's the human condition, and Paul says this about the human condition. It's broken. It is broken. I have bad news for you. You're broken. Warped, twisted, and beyond physical repair. Okay? Person next to you, broken. Everybody. So this is not popular whatsoever because we have adopted this type of concept, and I I see how it's appealing, is that human beings are basically good. Okay, that's very popular. Human beings are basically good. And if you could just put human beings in the right environment with the right stimuli, if you could just protect them from negativity, that human beings would flourish and blossom and everything they would do would be beautiful. Okay? That makes sense. However, if you look at, let's just look at the past 100 years of human history since the Enlightenment. Okay, just past 100 years. How many millions upon millions of people have died in war and genocide? The abuse, the hurt, it is rampant everywhere. The problem with human beings, and the Bible got this thousands of years ago, is that we aren't basically good that there is something broken within us. And I know that may be difficult to hear and you need to mull over that yourself. But without that concept, the book doesn't make much sense. The Bible doesn't make sense. It's why we needed Jesus to come onto the planet. So the Bible says this, this might be familiar to some of you, but I think this rudimentary illustration will help. It says, if this is a human being, okay, there there are fractures and breaks, trauma, my own rebellion, my brokenness, all of this pollution, this damage in my life, and it can't be repaired by human endeavor. 
So you could look at the history of, of, of the world and you could say this, you know what we've been trying to do is we've been trying to fix human beings. So we've created philosophies and religions. We've created governments and we thought maybe we can fix culture and we can fix human beings through all of the right stimuli. If we can just put people in the right environment, all of this will clear up. But the Bible says human beings are broken. And that is just absolutely depressing unless I tell you the second thing. Second thing is this, is that God has a plan to address this. Your brokenness and my brokenness. It's called regeneration. It's called new birth. And all of this takes place through the death and the life and the resurrection of Jesus. So the solution to human brokenness wasn't be nicer. It wasn't be more religious. It wasn't just believe these positive things. God said this. It started in Genesis chapter 3, the third chapter in the Bible, when we chose independence from God so that human beings snapped and we broke and we have now been millennia, millennia of generations who have been broken. And God said this, here's the plan to address human fracture and brokenness. God said, I will become a human being. I will enter into their world. I will experience everything that humans experience. But I will submit to the Father and I will live the life that they are incapable of living. And then, after I live the first and only human sinless life, I will go to a cross and I will die for them in their place, the punishment that they deserve. Then, there will be a resurrection. And then there will be a distribution of the spirit of God on planet earth so that this new dynamic could take place. In the midst of our dead, broken humanness, this miracle, it, it can't be achieved through self-resuscitation. It can't be achieved through good behavior. It is a supernatural miracle that God would say this, I will deposit in human life, my spirit, a brand new person, a resurrection could happen in the life of the human being. But then this is where we see our conflict, right? This is you and this is me. There's two parts to me. There's the part that is alive. There's a part that has been miraculously resurrected. When you said yes to Jesus, you received this. But there's still this other ugly part of me. So this is why I experience tension. This is why I make self-destructive decisions, even if I love God. Now, if you are uh, unresolved, you're not sure what you believe, I, I hope that what Paul said 2,000 years ago as we read this is going to help you understand a few things about you and about the people around you. Okay? Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, what Paul's going to do is he's going to say, there's a solution. There is an answer. You don't have to live in constant conflict for the rest of your existence. Okay? So with those two things in mind, let's read what Paul's going to write to the Galatians, these people who are dealing with their own inconsistencies. We'll start at verse 13. We're going to read a few verses. We'll talk about it. And then we'll move on and make all the way through chapter, uh, verse 26. 
Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. So this book of Galatians, that word freedom is without a doubt the key word. Paul's going to say this. The old way of dealing with this is you had to follow the law. Your relationship with God was based on your behavior. But he says now, because of what Jesus did on the cross, you are free. Your relationship with God is not dependent upon your good behavior. The cross paid for everything. There is no way that you can out-sin what the cross did. You can't go beyond the scope of God's love. This is this. So what are you going to use your freedom for? Say, hey, God forgives me of everything. The cross completed absolute forgiveness. So I might as well go have some fun. Nice. But don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Now, Paul, um, the word is sarks in the Greek. This is what he calls the old you, the old me, the flesh. He goes, don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, here's what I want you to do instead. Serve one another humbly in love. Rather than, hey, because I'm free, I can do whatever I want. He says, rather, hey, take a whole different, whole different perspective. Serve one another humbly in love like Jesus did. For the entire law, it's the first five books of the Old Testament, is fulfilled in keeping this one command. He says, you can boil it all down to one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? If we could just do that, the planet would change. Right? It, like everything would change. But we haven't been able to do that very well. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Okay? So he's saying this. This, this old way of life, you know what it does? It makes me look out for me. And I start to be abusive. I bite. I devour other people. He's not talking about physical. Like don't worry about the person next to you. I doubt they'll bite. Although I will say this. Uh, my oldest son, I was working at the church and he was, when he was like two years old, he was banned from the nursery for four months until we could teach him not to bite the other children at the church. That was fun. That was fun. Says, but we, we like devour each other. We use each other. So I say, here's, here's this key phrase. This is where we're getting into the spirit. Walk by the spirit. Walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We could keep this up here for a moment. Here's what happens so often, even in Christian churches. We focus on not gratifying the desires of the flesh. So we teach our kids, we teach new people, don't do that. Stop it. Better behavior is what we're looking for. We're getting it backwards getting backwards. What does Paul say? He doesn't say, hey, stop living in your old nature. He says, no, no, this is what I want you to do. If you could learn how to walk with the spirit, the new thing that's in you, guess what? Then you'd quit indulging your flesh. The focus, he invites them, is walk in the spirit. Start finding out what he's doing in your life. And as you participate in that, you'll find out, whoa, whoa, I'm not gratifying the old desires of my flesh any longer. We'll move on. For the flesh, old nature, desires what is contrary to the spirit. Okay? They're opposed to each other. And the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. 
They're in conflict with each other. That's the conflict in you, the conflict in me. So that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You're in a whole new place. Okay? Let's talk a little bit about this. You can sum up this whole section by saying what Paul wants human beings to do is to love one another, to love each other, but that is not as easy as it sounds. Jesus gave, you know, he didn't come giving a bunch of commands. He gave this really clear command. He said, I want you to love one another. But has anybody found in their life that that is more difficult than you ever thought it would be, right? What I see is it's easy for me to love people I deem lovable, right? It's a lot more difficult to love people that I don't think are very lovable. And Jesus said, a radical new way of living. He says, I want you to love your enemies. What? What? He says, and this is why we have all these conflicts. It's because we're told to love one another, but there's this old influence in me that says, why, why would I serve you humbly? What about me? I got to look out for number one. So this is the tension that we have. And Paul says, the reason we can't do this is because there's a conflict. You have two natures. If you're following Jesus, you have a new miraculous nature that was given you. And you have the old, carnal, centuries old human instincts that have been so deeply ingrained into each one of us. And so instead of loving, what do we do? We bite and we devour. There will be so many stories in this room of the pain that you and I have experienced through human relationships. Our families fall apart. Relationships fall apart. It's just the result of our carnal nature. So he says, now you have two options. Okay, two options. Here's your two options. You can either walk in the flesh or you can walk in the spirit. Which one of these will dominate your life? Walk in the flesh or walk in the spirit? I'm gonna show you a picture. <clears throat> Paul's saying something like this. <clears throat> in your life, there will be constant junctures. I would say you're gonna face dozens of these probably a day where you're walking down life and something happens, something unexpected, something unplanned. Someone says something and you are facing a juncture and you're gonna say this. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're gonna say, okay, do I walk in my old nature or am I gonna choose to walk in the spirit? Which one will it be? I'm gonna tell you which one is always easier, your old nature, because that path is well-worn. You inherited that path. I'll give you an example. Thursday morning, dropping off my daughter at middle school. Um, we'd already hit the high school and I, I still have never figured out why Billings doesn't have any buses. So it's just, anybody who's done this, it's just massive cars and we're trying to get through and trying to get everybody to school in time. And I'm making a right turn, right? And as far as I know, you always yield. If you're making a left turn, you yield, right? So I'm making a right turn and there's a lady who's making a left turn. So she's supposed to yield legally to me. She's driving an enormous SUV. She's talking on the phone. And as I turn, she freaks out on me. And it was one of the most athletic moves I've seen in a long time. She's talking on the phone, driving her SUV, and she flips me off at the same time. I'm like, 
well done. Like, I don't, I don't know if I could have done that. And you didn't, you didn't crash into me or anyone else. That was impressive. But I am completely in the right. Hmm. Right? You know what my old nature tells me to do? You let her know that you are right and she is wrong. I can report this. On the outside, if you were watching me, I responded this way. A little bit of me on the inside responded this way. I live under a whole different, like, you know, set of rules. Because I know if I would have com- responded completely this way, chances are this happens to me all the time. I come to church and I see her walking in the very next week. It's just like, it's a terrible setup. So it is some form of pressure behavior modification that I have in my life. Um, no, but like, that is like one little instant. And, and then it was all throughout the day. I'm facing these things. What do I say in response to that? Do I walk in my natural, carnal, instinctual way? Or am I going to let myself decide I'm going to walk in the spirit? This is the tension that we have. What am I going to do with that? So Paul's going to move on. Verse 19 through 21. Let's read that. This is love, not as easy as it sounds, because of this conflict. Paul's going to describe the acts of the flesh. This is the old me. Acts of the flesh... They're obvious because you experience them, we experience them. Um, our, our counseling centers, our, our therapists are filled because of this. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. He just says the list goes on. I'll warn you. As I did before, that those who live like this in this old nature will not inherit the kingdom of God. This just doesn't work. It's not healthy. So Paul's going to tell them, here's the acts of the flesh. This is the byproduct of what you will get because this is in you. Now, as I read the list, some of them are a little bit more shocking than others, right? You're like, ooh, didn't think I'd hear that word in the Bible. Yep, it was there. And then some of them seem a little bit more benign, like factions, dissension, fits of rage. Why does it have to make it on that list? Because there's some whoppers on that list. Here's what Paul says. It's all a result of brokenness. It's all the old me. It's all flesh. And he says, if, if you let this be the dominant influence in your life, That's what you're going to get. It's just natural. That's the way, the order of life. That's what your flesh produces. Brokenness. Damage in other people. Ideas of self-preservation that pollute my relationships. That's what you're going to get. The very next section of scripture, he's going to say, there's another way. Notice it starts with but. It starts with but. But the fruit of the Spirit, so those are the acts of the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
forbearance, which is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. No one will ever go to prison for being too kind. We read that. It's the world everybody wants to live in. It's the world. If, if you're married, you want your spouse to have more of the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> That's a much more pleasant relationship. You friends, you want your friends. You, you have a workplace environment. You're like, oh, this is what the world has wanted for so long. This is that love that Paul's talking about. This, this, is, this is what we've tried to create through utopian societies and, and thought, oh no, socialism will get, it, help, get us there or like hardcore religious societies will get us there. Nothing has got us there. He says, this is different. This is the fruit of the spirit. Let's go on and read a bit more. To those who belong to Christ Jesus, uh, those who belong to Christ Jesus has, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Ooh, we got to talk about that. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Okay. So we saw the acts of the flesh. Now he says, here's a new thing, the fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's what everybody has always wanted. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Just goes on and on. It's how we want to be treated. It's what we aspire to, but so often fail at. Paul says, you know how you get this? It's fruit. It's funny. He uses an agricultural metaphor. Acts of the flesh is just what I do, naturally. He says, but this type of life? These beautiful things, these are the result of the supernatural work of the Spirit in our lives. You know what I know about fruit? It takes a little while. You ever notice that? I planted peach, apricot, apple, cherry trees in my yard seven years ago. I, don't, I think I'm doing something wrong because it's, it's been a long haul. This year, every year they bloom, and I'm like, this is the year. This year, I had one cherry that survived. One out of all those trees. But it was, it was magnificent. It was big, and like, it was perfect. And I went down, and I thought, one more day. Like, tomorrow's the day for the cherry. I went down to get the cherry, and like a bird had eaten it. All it's hanging is like the, the seed off the stem. You're like, no. I waited seven years for that cherry. Paul says, you, you know what this deposit of the Spirit wants to do in you? It wants to grow the fruit of the Spirit. It wants to change the dynamic. It wants to begin to erase all of this. And Paul says this wild thing. He says, for those who are in the Spirit, those who belong to Christ, he says, the flesh has been crucified. What in the world does that mean? Crucifixion was borrowed by the Romans from the Babylonians. 
And many would say it's probably the most horrific form of human execution that has ever been developed. It wasn't like, how can we end somebody's life quickly? It was literally, how can we extend suffering for as long a time period as possible? So there's very little initial trauma. So oftentimes, people would hang on the cross for three or four days. And it's so agonizing as your internal organs begin to collapse, as you begin to drown from your lungs not being able to function, that people would scream. You, everybody on a cross would scream and scream and scream. And you couldn't get down. And here's why the Romans loved it. They always crucified people in a public spot. It was always outside of a city or along a road. Because there was this phrase that they used. They said, the screams of the crucified keep our empire intact. It's such a horrible way to die. And it took so long that people would be, they'd just be submitted like, I don't want that. Therefore, I will never rebel against the empire ever. Paul uses this word. He says, here's what you need to know about yourself. When the Holy Spirit came into your life and regenerated you, he also crucified your flesh. Which means this, it's stuck on a cross and it no longer has power over you. It does not have to be the dominant influence in your life any longer. Paul understands there's a conflict going on in you, but here's the good news is that the cross is big enough that you do not. I do not have to operate in my passions any longer. I don't have to respond. I can say, wait a minute, I've got a new nature and I'm going to exercise that nature. I am going to choose to walk in the spirit because this thing doesn't have power. I know any of us in the room, you've ever stuck in addiction. You've got secrets in your life that you're just praying people will never find out. Listen, I gotta tell you something. If this has happened, that no longer owns you. There can be freedom. So here, here's the plan. If that is true, if that is true, here's, here's God's plan for your life and my life. Anybody want to know God's plan for your life? Here it comes. Every one of us. Is that as the Holy Spirit is doing his work in my life, as I am choosing to walk in the Spirit, that the fruit of the Spirit, the beautiful things that every human being wishes they had begins to expand and develop. Because this no longer owns me. My hope is this. If I get to live to be 80 or 90 years old, that God... This isn't anything I've produced. God, through his spirit, through my surrender, through me walking in the spirit, has developed and matured me so that my carnal flesh, it's never gonna go away, not this side of heaven, but it becomes smaller and smaller and more and more insignificant. That's what God wants. That's his plan for our lives. He says this tension, he gets it. Paul has the same tension, but there is a solution. I just wanna leave us with a few practical statements that might help us apply this. Number one, 
realize that the acts of the flesh are something that I produce, okay? It's way too easy when I do something dumb, when I do something self-destructive, when I hurt someone else to say, well, it's not my fault. I hear that all the time. Listen, own it, own it. I know that there's all kinds of trauma and hurt in the background, but it's the acts of the flesh that I produce. I made those mistakes. I'll own that. The fruit of the spirit is something that is produced in me. So what I don't want is for anybody to leave. And this week you think, okay, you know what I'm going to do this week? I am going to produce more love and joy and peace and gentleness and kindness in my life. I'm going to bear fruit. And you're like, God, it's going to happen this week. I'm going to be so nice. It's the exact opposite of what we're talking about. You can't do it. I can't do it. It is the supernatural result of God's spirit in my life creating something that I can never produce by myself. Secondly, I think all of us have to learn how to tap the brakes. Tap the brakes. Let me explain what I mean by that. Probably most people in the room have driven a car with cruise control, and especially in a place like Montana where you can zoom along at 80 miles per hour. If you see something ahead of you and you're like, "Uh uh-oh, I might need to slow down, and the cruise control is on, what do you do? You don't want to like lock them up, right? That's going to, you, you tap your brakes because you're going to slow down because what the cruise control does is it keeps your momentum going in the direction you're headed. And so you tap the brakes, take the cruise control off so that you can pause and you can begin to make a good decision on what needs to happen. You have a cruise control and I have a cruise control. It's called my old nature. These are long-term habits that are in me. And so what we're needing to learn to do is to say, I'm speeding down road, I'm at work, I'm at school. Oh my goodness, there's a situation ahead of me. I wanna tap the brakes so that I can pause because I know your cruise control, your old nature is gonna lead you in the same direction that you've always gone. But I pause, I say, whoa, whoa, whoa. I wanna take this other route. I want to walk with the spirit, not with my old nature. How do you identify that? When you feel the anger rising up, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. I feel like I have to justify myself. Maybe, maybe that's my old nature. I don't want to do that. When you feel the temptation coming, whoa, whoa, hit the brake. Okay, wait. I know I've always gone with that, but maybe I don't have to anymore. Learn to tap the brakes. Third, it's not about me doing more and trying harder. It's about me keeping in step with the work of the Spirit in my life. So, oh, I think Christianity just kind of goofs this up so often. Remember, we focus on just quit doing bad things. It's not about me doing more and trying harder. It's about me keeping step with the work of the Spirit in my life. That's what Paul keeps inviting them to do. He says, this is, this is one of the things that the Holy Spirit's doing. And our job is to just keep in step with who the Holy Spirit is and what he's doing in my life. Most of the time, most of us, we don't have to think much about walking, do we? Just, just kind of walk. You know, there's a big learning curve. And then right about, I don't know, 
13, 14 months, most people get it figured out and they're cruising along. And from that point on, you really don't think about walking, right? Maybe some of us are dealing with some sort of challenge. I get that. I, I was thinking about this. What does it mean to walk in the spirit? And I went back four years ago. <clears throat> I went on a, a backcountry archery elk hunting trip with my friend. He comes to church here. He was here last night. His name's Cole Hefley. And I had never thought of myself as a slow walker. Like, I, I'll get there until I went hunting with Cole. I've never seen anybody walk like this. It was like, it was not human. It, it was bizarre. And he didn't ever look like he was trying. And I found myself for four days. I'd look up and I'm like, oh my goodness. He's like 400 yards ahead of me. How'd that happen? We'd get up. And so here, I've never done this before. Every day, all day long, I'm thinking about walking. Like, move faster, Nate. Cole's going, right? So I'm just, I felt like an Oompa Loompa hunting with him. Like, I, I cannot keep up with you every day. I'm like, walk faster, walk faster, keep up with him. He's moving. And so it's just like, you know, it's just me like chasing him through the woods. It just was absolutely bizarre. And I thought about walking all day, every day. I think that's what Paul's asking us to do. What if you thought about walking with the Spirit all day, every day? Because the walk that we're accustomed to is really natural. Like, I can do this one, right? I can walk on my old nature. I'm good at that. I've got a lot of practice. But Paul says, what if you thought all the time about keeping in step with the Spirit? Because he's, he's producing something in you. He has a plan. He wants to see maturation and development. He wants to see these beautiful things identified in your life. And here's how you do it. You just stay in step with the Spirit. Okay, what are, you, what are you doing here? All right, all right. I want to go, oh, you're right, you're right. That's the old me. I'm with you. I'm with you, spirit. Where are you headed? I'm headed there as well. Remember, he's the one that comes alongside. We just stay in step with the one who comes alongside. Will you pray with me? Human beings have always faced this tension. We want to be better. We want to be different. But we cannot fix ourselves. We're damaged in a way that no amount of good behavior or religion, none of it could ever restore what's been lost. This is the miracle of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and the regeneration of the spirit in our lives that makes a new dynamic possible. God, we pray this. We pray that the tensions that we face, would it come to the surface? Lord, we don't wanna be somebody, we're gonna get to heaven, but we're dominated by our old nature. That could so easily happen. We refuse that. Instead, we say, we wanna be with you for eternity and we wanna see our new nature developed and expanded. We wanna see the fruit of the spirit produced in our life as we, here's our job, as we stay in step with the spirit. Would you produce the things in our lives that we've never known how to generate? Would you teach us how to pay attention to our new nature. If you walk with the spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If 
you keep your eyes closed for a moment, just want to create a little bit of space for anybody in the room. And perhaps you'd say this, you'd say, Nate, um, if that's really true, that human beings are broken and there's no amount of good behavior that can ever save me, maybe you'd say, I need that. I need that new birth. What Jesus did on the cross through his life, through his resurrection is for me and I need something supernatural to be birthed in me. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I'm not just going to believe that he existed. I'm ready to surrender to him. If that is you, would you boldly do this? Would you just raise your hand and wave at me? I want to catch your eye. Yeah, you're his. Yes, ma'am, you're his. All right, both you little ones. Yes, sir, yes, ma'am, you're his daughter. Okay, I see you guys right there. Beautiful. All right, ladies, both of you, I see that. You're his over there, yes. In the very back, I see you. Yeah, yes, sir. Right back there as well. Okay, yes. Yeah, here, yes, sir. You're his, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Son, daughter of God right there. Beautiful. If you're in the balcony, will you wave at me? It's a little bit harder for me to see you. Okay, here as well, yes, sir. Yeah, all right. Yes, and yes, both of you right there. Both of you there as well, right up at the very top. Oh, yeah, you're his. Okay, here. Yep. Wow, astounding, astounding. Hey, everybody, would you, um, would you applaud for a whole bunch of people that just made the bravest decision of their life? Love it, love it. Beautiful. Hey, if you raise your hand, we do want to say we're so proud of you, and you are you love more than you can ever imagine. You just get to explore that. If you raise your hand, head to one of these I Have Decided banners. I just want to get a Bible in your hands. It's free. Just a way to equip you. Everybody else, be the hands and feet, mouthpiece of Jesus. Walk in the spirit and see what happens. If you need prayer, there's people you can trust up front. God bless you. Love you. See you soon.